Hi everyone, I'm including a disclaimer for at least the foreseeable future for my upcoming episodes. Some time back when my wife and I chose to move into our current home, we did so so that we could support a member of the family who we believe needed support. That support has evolved and we recently found out this member of the family has a cognitive condition that impacts their behavior. And unfortunately, it impacts the background, the atmosphere of this podcast. I've been very comfortable with the fact that my dogs and their snoring and burping and other noises are simply a part of the soundtrack of my life. And that's why I have learned to avoid trying to exclude them from any episodes. I've since decided that Likewise, for this member of the family, who you might hear me mention their name on occasion within a podcast, simply to let my guests know what's occurring in the background and the limited control I have over it, I'm also letting you as a listener know that there will be sounds, noises in the background that simply cannot be controlled. It is unfair to ask that of the person who does not have the ability to control them. So with those things in mind, I'm including a disclaimer simply to say, should you hear any noises in the background, should you hear any sort of distractions, I'm aware of them too. And with them, I am bringing a level of understanding that I am extending and asking you to support. With all of that in mind, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode and all future episodes of Storytelling with Seth. Thank you. Lens, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. I'm I'm going to be honest right from the get-go. I don't do a big introduction, but I'll tell everybody your name is Lance Lucero. And you hooked me with this really awesome trailer for Bob, the non-union psychic. And the moment that Haiti shared it with me, I was like, okay, if you're going to get my attention, do so with an amazing trailer and then say, do you want to talk to the person who created this? To which my answer was yes. So I'd love to start there and just say, what can you tell us about Bob and all the things that are suggested at, hinted at, teased in that trailer? Well, Bob is your uh, friendly neighborhood renegade psychic professional hairstylist. Um, okay. There's a lot of those out there? <laughs> not that I know of. I think, I think uh, so far we're the only ones. So that's kind of the unique aspect of, of the book itself. Um, the driving force behind the character and his, his lineage. Um, so, I mean, that's where it starts. I mean, you saw the trailer and it starts the whole, the whole story, the whole concept starts cinematically. So this was actually a screenplay first. It was meant for the big screen and it was uh, shopped around over 20 years ago when, when the, when the industry was different than it is now. Um, didn't make it to the big screen, so I let it. I let it lie for 15 years and uh, hooked up with a comic book colleague of mine. And the idea was is to adapt a book zero uh, to comic books, so that we can kind of do an introduction to the character in the world. And then it kind of took off from there with a, with a book one and two. So the graphic novel that you can get through uh, warehouse9pro.com or uh, ASAP Imagination Any One World is the entire arc of a story. Um, the beauty thing is, is it's available, you know, physical media. You can get a hardcover. Yeah. You can get a paperback. You can get digital. And you could also get a... Uh, the book zero by itself, just as a teaser digitally, if you want, just to introduce yourself to this, this new world and this new character uh, in the independent uh, comic book world. And 
as I'm always going to wonder when it comes to such an interesting character, where did Bob begin? What was his uh, what was his start like for you? Your introduction to Bob did it come just during a usual routine writing exercise and a moment occurred, or was this intentional because of something specific? Did you uh, know of someone who might have been a great model for this, or was it just an idea that suddenly kept going and it 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 turned into itself? Well, it started off with basically kind of just thumbing your nose at the gatekeepers, um, agents, studios, playing the game, uh, trying to get somewhere, being a nobody from nowhere, um, without representation, without um, nepotism, without the help of anything. How do you get somewhere? Sometimes it is blind luck. But with Bob... It was the idea of the psychic union is the entity. It's, it's the establishment. And obviously you see the title. It's, it's, it's non-union. Um, it, it's a metaphor. It could be anything. It could have been club. It could have been whatever you want to title it. But it's just the gatekeepers. It's, it's Bob having the tools, the talent, the wherewithal to get somewhere in the psychic community, but kind of being ousted, not because he's talented, but because of bureaucracy and him saying, all right, well, I'm just going to do this by myself independently, kind of what the theme of the book is, kind of what the theme of, of independence is in general. It's about, hey, trying to produce something of the highest quality that can compete with the big leagues, but in an independent style without any gatekeeper telling you what to do. So that's the metaphor. That's what's behind the book. And I think it applies to a lot of people out there with a lot of ambition in a lot of trades or professions, that's where I think the book transcends. That's that's the message behind it. You know, don't wait to be accepted. Just do your own thing. That's such an important idea. It's one I have struggled with on many occasions. In fact, uh, <laughs> there's been times where I've been doing work on a project and thought to myself, "Am I even qualified to be doing what I'm? What right do I have to be?" And then realizing at some point, either. I own the right or I'm constantly going to be facing that that doubt, that uncertainty. But I love the way that you describe Bob recognizing his ability, owning it and choosing to pursue an independent route, not trying to curry to someone else's favor or find a way to fit in. If we could talk a little bit about Bob as a character, I'm curious, is this something, is this a gift that he has always had and then found that there was a way that he could move into a, a career, which in hairstyling, my wife does hair color. So I'm very familiar that it's a, a lucrative career. You can have a great life. But what was, uh, what's the story of Bob as it comes to not only his abilities, but his career, and then, you know, his, his path, whether it was chosen or whether it's one he had to uh, embrace simply out of necessity to go non-union? Well, you know, it's all about family. And sometimes family can be positive or very negative. Um, he, he has a long line of, of ancestry that has psychic ability. So it's, it's basically part of his blood. It's in his character. It's in his genetic makeup. But not to the extent of doing anything overly outlandish. It's, he's more heightened uh, with his environment. You know, he can see things that people don't see. He can see auras. He can see negativity. He can sometimes have visions of the past, present, future. Uh, it's something that he doesn't like. It's something that doesn't sit well with him. He's sensitive to it. Yet he's an artist. He's, he's a hairstylist. He's a barber. He owns his own shop. He's an independent uh, entity. And the idea behind it was, is, I mean, as a writer, not to cheat, um, no, no fortress of solitude, no bat cave, no million dollar trust funds, um, not a doctor, not a lawyer. Uh, he has a trade skill that it, he can take anywhere into this world because everybody needs their haircut. Everybody needs their hair done. So that was the, that was the idea behind his profession and him having his own shop is basically his, it is his refuge. That's where he conducts all his business and what better way to network, um, Enter his his great grandfather, who is basically the driving force behind him saying, look, you can do more with your life. You have 
you have these special gifts and you're squandering them. Don't squander them. You know, the psychic union is right there. You can legitimize. You can get your card. You can be part of something big and elite. And he re- he reluctantly goes for it because there's a, there's another entity that his family's been fighting for a thousand years. So he's pulled into it reluctantly. And at the same time, he tries to he tries to play the card with his his psychic union representative to get into uh, the establishment. Of course, things don't go as planned. What does? And then he realizes, well, I don't need him anyways. And then the story continues from there. So the book zero is basically a a condensed version of, of the original screenplay. And then the book one and two, we just went off. We said, all right, let's let's create more story arcs and let's try and round out the character in an original way. So that's what we thought was was the best route to go. When I say we, I mean uh, my writing partner, um, Adam Foley, who was uh, uh, my co-writer and editor. And then, of course, we employed Francisco Resendez. I mean, this artist knocked it out of the ballpark. It was everything that we needed, everything that we wanted so that we can produce this book. Uh, just make it as high dollar as possible and as entertaining as possible, but not trite. You're going to get you're going to get a lot for your buck, you know, with this book. It's not just going through the motions with a typical uh, structure just to get you to turn pages. You're going to read it and you're going to look at the art and you're going to have fun. I can already imagine just based on what you've been describing. And again, I've had the benefit of seeing seeing the trailer. And for anyone who hasn't, I'm including in the liner notes so you can pause and watch it, watch it beforehand, watch it afterwards and enjoy the same experience I and many others have. And then from there, between that and everything you're gonna hear today, have an opportunity to check it out for yourself and see if that's something that you enjoy as well. So you have zero, which is you know that first arc, you have one and two where you begin just, as you said, exploring, you know, pushing the envelope, how far can you go? How many great characters can you include? What, what sort of, um, horizons can you strive for, right? Or look to in the process of your story. Um, I'm curious as I'm thinking about it, you know, a lot of what you've described, Bob seems like someone who has made his way, not only as as a uh, non-union psychic, which is, as you said, things don't work out. So that ends up becoming his route. But before that, he has this foundation within hairstyling, right? The ability to, use this skill to create his own path. I mean, the one thing that I I know about everyone that I know in the industry because of people I've met through my wife and then uh, it it creates a great insight whenever I go to my barber, that idea of, as you described, it's a desirable skill. It's one that you can pack up, you can take with you and almost any place you go to, you you can generally find work, you know? Granted, if you're on a street where there's five others, you might want to pick a different street. But overall, this is something that is a desirable skill. Everyone needs a haircut. And through that, you create your own schedule, your own, you know, you create your own life. It's basically your business. So I like the idea that that independence is already developed for for Bob and how then he can sort of use that as a great foundation. If things don't work out with the uh, union side of being a psychic, then... Uh, it would be a great opportunity to then sort of lean on those skills. Sorry, you've listened to me before. You're aware of this factor. Um, (laughs) And sometimes it just happens without my, it's like when the dogs start barking, I'm like, all right, that's a part of life I can't control. Much like, as we could understand with Bob, things don't work out for him becoming a non-union psychic. He, He has to forge his own path. So I'm curious, you know, when it comes to a character like that, I'm sure there has to be, you know, some challenges that come with going against the grain. You know, one of the great things about being in a union, I've got a brother-in-law who's an electrician. You know, if he needs work, he goes to that hall, he signs up on the list, he gets called on the list so often. There's opportunities always available and there's a resource that's kind of working for him. As you point out, Bob has to go his own route. He has his own shop, which is his networking place. And that's how he can, one of the ways I think he can generate business. Is it his only way? Are there other avenues that he explores either in zero or in issues one and two that sort of show maybe um, to what degrees he has to hustle simply because he doesn't have the benefits of the union and things like that? Absolutely. Um, obviously, being an independent, um, he doesn't come with, with that backing. 
uh, he doesn't come with that uh, company, that that agent to say, no, we recommend this person. It, it's like anything. It's word of mouth. He helps somebody. It spreads. That's how it works in the real world. So that's how it works for him. And in some cases, it even becomes charity. He just he just needs to help. And that's how it works out to his own demise. You know, he suffers for it. But the point is, is try to do the right thing. You know, that's what a hero is. Sometimes you finish last and even at the expense of his 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 hairstyling business. You know, he has to juggle the two and it is a dilemma for him, a big dilemma. But he knows he has a clientele on both sides and he has to take care of them. But of course, uh, the family structure, you know, his great grandfather is always pushing him more towards the psychic side because that's fame, fortune and glory. You know, he had his time in the sun and he wants the same for his his grandson. But, you know, that's where you get conflict and it's great conflict. It's great banter. There's great jokes. We all know what sometimes, like I said, our inspiration is family. So that's where you get a lot of character building when it comes to his world. Um, But yeah, it's about just forging your own way, no matter what, despite what may happen and circumstance dictates the story. So it doesn't work out typically like, like you think it would in most commercial aspects of story writing. Uh, that's one thing I wanted to avoid 100%. Let's do something different. And in a sense, this volume, volume one, stands alone. It can continue. It could end right now. But the point is, is the story's there. The arc is there. You you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. What was it like making those choices, going through the process of saying, yes, I could go this way. This feels like it's something that we've all seen before. And then choosing instead either one or maybe a few different alternate routes to go. But I have this option that I can explore. Did you ever find that there was a route that you picked up thinking this is going to go great and quickly you know, found yourself making an adaption or an adjustment? Or did it more often become something where if you listen to sort of the beat in the moment and looked for the opportunity, it would sort of reveal itself and you just had to, you know, kind of listen to the story and what it was telling you as the direction you could go that said, yes, but this is more interesting. We've seen that. We've done that. Others have done that. I don't need to to travel that road, but the path not taken, there's, there's reasons behind why I'm going in this direction and, um, what it's leading me and the character towards as far as the story. Well, I think that in book zero, which is based off the screenplay, um, Bob has his, his one prized tool. That's also an, his assistant, uh, which is his scissors. Um, and they're, they're a very old pair of scissors that were forged from a meteorite. And he has a psychic connection with it because of the previous owner. Uh, So that's not revealed in book zero, but we see the signature and we hear him keep calling his scissors Legro. We leave it at that. And that's what actually builds the next story because my co-writer was like, well, why are these scissors special? And it was a question of, well, let's, let's re let's, let's research hairstylists. So I kind of went back, you know, to the eighties, Vidal Sassoon, Paul Mitchell and all that stuff. And I was like, these guys are boring. They're lame. Let's go back even farther. <laughs> so we went back to the French court, of uh, 1700s where, where these guys were, it was a cutthroat industry between hairstylists, wig makers, hat makers in France. So Le Gros de Romigny is a guy that really existed. And we now blend historical with fantasy in our book. So we went that route to say, all right, let's define these scissors, which means let's define this character that actually existed and died mysteriously when Marie Antoinette came to town. He was trampled to death. And I'm thinking, all right, there's an angle there. Was he really trampled to death? So we built a whole persona around this this old hairdresser from the French court uh, that he was a badass paranormal adventurer and his his book that he wrote was just a front. His academy that he really had in France was just a front. It was all for him to network to vanquish evil. 
And these scissors just ended up in the thrift store and, and Bob had a connection with them. And they, those have been his lucky scissors and they couldn't figure out why they never needed be, to be sharpened, why they're virtually indestructible and how he has this, this psychic link with them. And now here's the kicker. Here are the scissors. These are the scissors <laughs> for real, right from the comic book. If you remember wow. in the trailer, here they are. Right, I do. The reason why this was constructed is because I am now finishing up the film spinoff to Bob Non-Union Psychic. So there's going to be a movie, um, a film shot on film, but we're going back to 17th century France. You're going to get the story of Legros, not the story of Bob. So what better way to do your own film spinoff or your own fan film of the IP that you own than to really throw your audience for a loop because we are pulling all the stops out for this, this film, which is, is a companion to the book. Um, and the scissors are, are the catalyst, you know, these indestructible scissors, but we're going to get to see the guy, the real guy, you know, working them. So that's where it started from. We, we went from book zero, which we were like, okay, this is an indie book. We want atmospheric. We want it to be saturated. We want texture. Let's make this book look really cool. And our artist, who was an animator, also understood cinema. So it, it, it evolved from there. Book one, okay, we're going back to, you know, uh, 17th century France. Let's do Rembrandt. Let's do Renoir, but keep the style of art but let's really gloss up the book, make it look really pristine. And then the third book, which is book two, it was like, all right, this is a dark book. It's going to be cool and cold and snowy. So let's do our Batman Returns here. So let's do an arc of art along with the, ar the arc of a story, but also have each book retain its originality, its original character concepts, but have its own style of art that uh, accompanies the story. So you're going to get something that's a little bit different than a normal arc. Sure, you know, you, you, the art is still the same, but when we zap back in time or, or we, we show the French court, we're really up playing classical art with that cartoon style that, that uh, Francisco Cisco developed. So it was just a simple question. What do, these, what do these scissors do and why are they important? Boom, that's where the next story comes from. There you go. We explain it all. And then it leads into the next book. Okay. You know, he's establishing himself. So let's just up the game and make, make the union strike. Now they're out to get him. So it all comes together as such. It's like a, it's, it's, it's part of the, 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 the world building process, but you let the story dictate how it's going to go. And, you know, we, we talk about it. We outline it. We figure out, how we're going to do this. And in my mind, page count isn't an issue. I know there's budgets involved as a producer and what have you, but the story needs to be there. So you get a lot of meat out of, out of these books. You're going to get a lot of story. And as a reader and a fan, I want that. So I'm not going to sell an audience short. That's how we had to do it. Yeah. I love this idea of the uh, film script that became the graphic novel that later inspired the um, history that becomes its own film, an independent film that, that you're, if I remember correctly, did you say you were almost done uh, filming or you had completed filming? Uh, it's completed filming. We're in the ADR process now, um, we're, uh, recording uh, the voices for it. So I shot, I shot this film uh, with no sound and I bring in the performers later and we, we redub it um, with new dialogue on top of the old dialogue. We let the story uh, play out because new opportunities play out with the imagery. But it was a chore because how do you bring 17th century France to Denver, Colorado and during a pandemic? So right. you're going to get models. You're going to get miniatures. You're going to get puppets. You're going to get paper cutouts. You're going to get everything you loved from Jim Henson, Terry Gilliam, Monty Python. That's the way we did it to retain, to retain the comic book feel, but also do kind of a retro aspect to what we all grew up and what we like. And that's the way we had to do it. 
and on film, you know, not video. I don't shoot HD. I shoot nothing but film like old school. You want you want to be a filmmaker, you shoot on film. That's all there is to it. And this is going to be a classic tale of that along with the rest of my, my catalog. But what's exciting is we, we bring Legro to life. We bring a guy from 200 plus years ago to life, a guy that really existed. We have no pictures of him, no portraits. We don't know what he looks like. So we invent what he looks like in the comic book. And then there's the invention of what he looks like in the film and how he battles evil hair. You know, that's, that's how it, it's all going to go down. So it's all ambitious, but, you know, go big or go home. It's, it's, it's a dog eat dog world right now. And the, and the market's saturated with everything. So you got to up your game. You really got to up your game. Yeah. I, I completely understand how that's going to lead to some really interesting creative choices. I love the ones you describe the idea of how do you bring 17th century France to life in Colorado? What choices do you make? And how can you benefit from the, the things that, as you described, we all loved growing up, the ways that stories could be told through uh, what you might originally expect, and then how it can turn a corner, and you're having a great time. And it doesn't matter that you've brought in models or puppets, because for how they fit with the story, it's, it's everything you want. It's everything you can enjoy about it. And you can also enjoy the the very fresh feeling that's going to come with that, that it's going to continue to challenge your expectations and also create that sense of wonder, like, I wonder how far this can go. What else can they include before this story comes to, you know, its end? And I think that can be a lot of fun and very exciting. I can definitely remember one of the first times I came across Time Bandits and I'm watching this movie that feels very mundane to a degree. And then suddenly the fantastic, takes out of it. And I'm thinking to myself, I was not, I was fairly young at the time, but I just remember thinking this isn't, I mean, what am I watching? And that Baron Moonchild, and I can think of these wonderfully and the zany part, the whimsical, the uh, playful way in which almost anything was possible was so exciting when watching those movies. And I'm intrigued now with the idea of what you're suggesting through that for, uh, for this story of LeGro. I also have to you know, say, what a great opportunity. I love the idea that this comes from your co-writer asking a question. So what's so special about these scissors? What's the story? And through unlocking that story, you get the chance to uh, explore this character, find this character, uh, uncover this wonderful mystery, trampled. Sure, that happens all the time. Um, and then what, what story goes with it? You know, did you fall out of favor? Did someone push you in front of the trampling horses? There's, there's always, you know, some sort of question that goes with that. And then beyond it, how can you then look back, show this story, and then at some point bring it to the present with our character who we meet in Zero? And we have this chance to sort of understand just how long such dangers as evil hair have been around, how they manifest, what their threats are to us, and what roles they were playing in such an interesting and intriguing place like 17th century France. Um, so I love the way you describe the process there because I'm asking, sure, how do you how do you come about this? And that's a great example. You ask a question, you follow the answer through, you discover great opportunities and you embrace them. Absolutely. Um, I, I can only imagine that there were some very interesting creative choices that came along with bringing someone to the screen who's never existed there before, who has no uh, visual representation beyond maybe some descriptions you were able to find or um, beyond that, what choices you made for how you felt this character was going to look. Did you ever, uh, do you have any fun stories that go along with that? Because I can imagine there there could be some. Or I can also understand how sometimes you're like, wow, that that was just, it all just happened. You know, there were a couple of details we were able to work from and then it organically built from there. Or were there moments where you had to make a choice that you felt was one of your own and it had nothing to do with any source material you could reference? Well, with Bob himself, I sent, I sent two pictures to Francisco, one of Elvis and one of Buddy Holly. And... Uh, <laughs> That was it. It was off and running. It, it was like, that's our guy. 
that's what he's going to look like. Um, and we built it from there. Uh, but Legro, once again, there's no, there's nothing there. So we have free reign. It was like, okay, this is, this is free reign and let's, let's do him justice in the book. You know, we have him in his prime. Uh, and then we have him when he's old. Um, but the idea is fashion, the hair, the wigs, uh, uh, the jackets, the clothing, all that stuff is, is already historically there. It's just now up to the artist to interpret and put it in the book. So, uh, a lot of pictures were sent, uh, a lot, a lot of, uh, screenshots were sent of films, you know, look at these, this is kind of what we, we would like Legro to look like. And we want, we want the French, the court to look that way. You know, uh, when you look at, uh, Marie Antoinette, you know, how she really looked, there's portraits, then there's, then there's our interpretation of it. You look at, you know, Louis XV, it's like, this is what he supposedly looked like, but we also get retouched versions of them portrait rot wise 200 years ago what if it wasn't retouched put blemishes on their faces make them a little fatter you know let's 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 show them as greasy real people and those were one things that those were things we wanted to display in the book to say okay you know you look at a, a panel that's supposed to be a queen and a king well we can't be enamored by what they want us to see we gotta kind of tell the dirty story the way it is and that's kind of where i like the storytelling aspect let's look at the dirty part let's look between the lines this is this is the way it should be and let's take it from there i mean uh, artistic choices you know when we put the word out for bob uh we were overwhelmed by the response and the artists from all over the planet. I mean, we were getting some awesome stuff from Spain, Brazil, Portugal, Korea, uh, Mexico, or Argentina. And we were like, these guys are nailing it. So we whittled it down to our top three, uh, Mexico, Argentina, uh, Brazil. And we decided to go with Francisco because I didn't want it to be too photo real. I still wanted it to have that really cool cartoon aspect to it. But when it got really violent, you're going to pay attention because it's like, oh, dang, you're not going to expect that with a book that looks like this. And I think that's in a sense where, you know, the adult storytelling starts to take precedence. It's like, okay, this is a, a sophisticated story, even though it has a little bit of that cartoon look. So that's kind of in a sense, the commercial aspect we took with the art to say, let's go that route so that when it really gets bad, people are going to pay attention. And it does. So that helped. I think that helped the story. So once again, that was the inspiration of the artist. We didn't really know, do we want photo reel? Do we want it to look? How? And then when we saw his art and his sequential art on top of it, we were like, this is our guy. We're going with him. I have the other artists archive and I use them for other projects, but for Bob, this was his baby and we went with it. That's a great moment. Um, you know what you're looking for and then you see it and it sort of lines up with everything that you've kind of been imagining, but it's come to life. You're able to then sort of go, okay, quick, grab it. You know, it's almost like a, an idea, write it down. Don't lose it. <laughs> you know, this, someone has captured this thing. Don't let this person go. And, and from that point on, you get the opportunity to then sort of work and explore with them. Because if they've already shown you some things that you're looking for, who knows what other ideas they might be able to add to the story. Uh, when it comes to the collaborative process and also these visuals, I'm also just uh, reminded recently, my wife and I, I had a hankering for it. So I was like, hey, you want to watch Amadeus? And she was like, yeah, let's check it out. And I loved going back to how it paints this very interesting portrait of Mozart, very different from you know what you might expect to learn if you're only going to go off of the very uh, sanitized biographies that, or or even brief information you're going to get about him. But also one of the things that I was blown away with, and that they they show is sort of revelry with, was the costuming of the time. 
the wigs, these unbelievably ornate masks, all of these other elements that were a sign of wealth, um, not only of that, but also it, it sort of showed your, your current status, which I think was always changing based on how fashionable you looked, how avant-garde you were as far as your appearance at social functions. And then in the court where so much of uh, political intrigue <laughs> can come from not only how someone appears, but their presence. And then also there's what they're doing in the public and then also what they're doing behind the scenes. It, it's a lot of great material to explore. When you were uh, working with the artists, like you were mentioning, you guys are sharing these ideas. Were there so many, were there any unexpected that, that came from the artist's end that helped add to the story in a way that you didn't predict? I find that that's always a great thing when I get that other eye looking at something and you're like, wow, that's a visual interpretation. That's a viewpoint or a perspective that just expands what we've been working on. Um, you mentioned his ability to, to nail it so well and, and clearly. Were there other fun uh, discoveries along the way, surprises, things like that? Well, for book zero, um, I had a, I, I, in the screenplay, I had a, a very specific idea of what the main villain or force of nature looked like. And it was very descriptive. There it is. That's, that's what I want this creature called the Hux to look like. The creature that Bob's family has been battling for a thousand years. Pirates. Uh, we're going back to even 10th century knights. Um, uh, all through history, what does, you know, I wanted this creature to look like this and Francisco did something completely different. He didn't even follow the description at all. <laughs> and I was kind of like, all right, what's the deal with this? And, you know, uh, my buddy Adam was like, I don't think he wants to do it, but there's nothing wrong with this interpretation. I said, no, there is nothing wrong with this interpretation. So let's just go with it. And we went with it. This was a completely different thing. And it worked. It worked. Wow. And then, you know, if you have to have a, a big, gigantic wig monster he's going to fight, we basically just say, surprise us. Give, us. give us three examples. Go for it. At that point, we trusted him. And then in the book, two, it was like, okay, uh, the Wendigo, you know, the ancient uh, Native American entity. You were like, give us your interpretation. And he did. So we have the three villains that, you know, we don't reveal. You got to buy the book to see these guys that are artistically genius. It's like, wow, you, I couldn't be more pleased with what he did with these characters and how complicated they are in his own right. He, he, he ran with it. And otherwise, like I said, we have a composite of characters. This is kind of what I think they should look like, but there were times where he asks, well, well, how should I do this character? You didn't explain. We're leaving it to you. And hey, why not? Uh, that you, let, you let the artist have free reign sometimes. Uh, you just let them do their thing. And it's more hit than miss, I will say, because he erases it. He does something new. All right. How about this one? Okay, let's go with that. So yeah, these opportunities presented themselves because you have to allow the artists to spread their wings. Um, and, and initially it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult pill to swallow as, as a director of filmmaking, I now handed my script over to the director, the artist and said, okay, is he going to be able to do this? And then him understanding what he needed to do. He's the director. All right, sure. He wants to please the producer and the writers, of course, but still, he has said a couple times he's got a couple favorite characters that he loves to draw over and over again. And I'm like, hey, you invented them. Why not? So you got to let you got to let the opportunities present themselves. You can't be too stringent in your vision because it will deviate and allow it because that's a partnership. That's a collaboration. Yeah. And amazingly, um, a great example of trust, the willingness to say, look, I I see what you're doing. I, I understand what you're doing and I like it. I actually like that it's different from what I'm doing. Show me 
what else this you know inspires from you what else does this lead you to want to do and if it continues in a positive direction uh it just i i would imagine continues to uh build support for that trust it makes it easier to continue to say surprise me make me say wow you know and as you pointed out if it's more hit than miss then that's just a great all right time to open this file let's see what we got and if you're left going cool all right what's next that's that's a wonderful feeling and it's a great way to just sort of know that as you pointed out you can sort of throw concepts and ideas more than trying to get it down to a um precisely detailed description one that must be met or it doesn't work and instead saying hey this is different and because of that it works because it goes in a different direction than we were originally planning it works so well you know because of that we can actually do more and then you now have as you pointed out three great characters that all started with a different direction on the first and led to a, a really fun three-person rogue gallery it sounds like yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. You build your you build your <laughs> rogues gallery of of, of characters, um, not 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 uh, counting who he comes across in the physical plane, uh, because he's Bob sees everything. When he goes out into the world, he sees a world we don't see. He sees all the entities around us. So we would say the entities are everywhere. And then we throw it to Francisco and he invents all these characters, even characters he may, he may have had up his sleeve uh, that are doing nothing. And they're all there in the background. You can go into a page and see 20 different new characters floating around as Bob's walking down the street. So that's art. That is a collaboration and it's eye candy because it's like, what's he going to do next? And we even captured one character that he put in, in book zero and said, this is going to be Gramps' main villain. And we're going to give him a name and we're going to create a story arc around him. And he's going to now be in the next couple books. So inspiration is there. And I think that's, that's what people have to grasp onto. Uh, sure. I'm specific in the screenplays. Sure. It's, it's, it's my word. It's my, I get the final say. So, you know, I'm the producer, I'm the creator, but with these collaborations and you're, when you're working with such talented people, just make sure everything stays on track. That's my job and make it as entertaining and as cool as possible. And something that I'm proud people have on their bookshelves. You know, I, I know that they'll grab it and go look at the art again. They're just, if, if they're just flipping through, looking at the art, I know they're going to, they're going to be pleased. I am curious just, uh, and I'm sure others by now are going, okay, so, um, hey, Lance, how did you get from some other point in time to the character of Bob and everything that you've shared with us since Bob went from being a script to the uh, comic stories that he's been telling and now into this uh, new movie that's coming out about Legro? Um, has this always been something that has been a, a part of the fabric of your life? Or were you one of those kids who at like two years old was stealing somebody's camera and trying to film things or drawing out storyboards? What has been your uh, trajectory as far as when you got into telling stories, either as films and scripts or in other forms? And as they led you to go to Hollywood and begin pitching Bob originally. But all starts with just once again, family. I come from a long line of, of bullshitters, con artists, storytellers, joke tellers. I mean, humor was a big deal. And when people captivate an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, whatever, if they get the room with their story, I was in awe. I was like, how do I be that guy? You know what I mean? How can I be that person? And then, you know, growing Growing up, I'm dating myself, but growing up in the 70s, 80s, um, I was exposed to some of the best cinema ever. And I had enough of a big enough family. Okay, let's go to the drive-in. And I seen, I would see stuff no kid would get to see. 
Um, I, my mom would just hand me off to an uncle, you know, <laughs> he's taking me to the movies. What'd you see today? Airport 77. What, what do you mean you saw that movie? Where'd you see it? At the Denver movie theater with the plush seats and 70 millimeter screen. You know, I was very fortunate that I was able to be in a very good place for cinema. And I was around a lot of movie lovers. So I was exposed to all of that. And then I started, it started to sink in like, Hey man, how do they make this stuff? Uh, how does this happen? And I would get handed the trade papers or magazines. Hey, look, this is how they made this movie. Or look, this is how they did this behind the scenes. And I started to grasp it and try to figure out how I can tell a story Comic books were always an influence. I mean, I was picking up Batman comic books. I was picking up Frank Miller comic books in the 70s going, wow, these are amazing. Swamp Thing. You know, I mean, I was I, I was in the good era. And all of that was like, okay, how do I do this? As you get older, how do I do this? But in a sense, kind of not get screwed by the like those guys. I want to retain my IP. How do I figure it out? Um, one of the things was movies. So I made a feature film 25 years ago on film. It has a distributor. It's waiting for a place to land, but that was part of my education. I can do this. Let's make a film. I had a short film before that Knights in shining armor in Colorado. All right, I'm going to do something that nobody's doing. It expands from there. You know, we went through a lot of strikes. I lived in Hollywood for about a year. I, I got the scene and everybody told me, get out, go make your movie anywhere but here. And it was probably some of the best advice I ever got. Um, I, I did it all myself here in Colorado and I'm still doing it. And in that, in the interim, Bob was always going through my head, this story. So write, writing countless screenplays, this is, this is one that landed on a lot of tables, but Paramount Studios, Summit Films, geez, we're going way back though. We're going back to like the year 2000. And um, it's too expensive. It's too high concept. It's too big. You're too young. We don't know you. You're unsolicited. All right, whatever, man. One day I'm going to make this. So I don't need you people. Um, and then getting back into the scene, uh, movie making scene, I want to do Cowboys. I did. You know, I want to do Retro Cops. I did it. All these movies have been in the festival circuit the last two, two, three years. Um, I got Bob out there. I, I found the publisher that I wanted, ASAP Imagination, Any One World. Let's get this out to the world. Let's get these physical copies out to the world. And then it hit me. I'm going to do my own fan film. I, I don't want to do, I, I don't want to do anybody else's IP. I don't want to do Batman or Superman or Swamp Thing or Constantine, no matter how much I like them and grew up with them. Forget that. I got my own stuff here and I'm doing it and I'm going to do it my way. And I own the rights. I have my own corporation. I'm protecting it. I'm ready to be a force to be reckoned with. And that's a scary thing because I know what I'm doing and it scares off a lot of people. So be it. I'm still going to keep doing it. So uh, growing up with those storytellers, growing up with these people that were that had their own businesses uh, that were that were eking out an existence, it was all inspiration. I just took their education, educated myself, looked at the pros and cons and, and the mistakes that were made and tried not to make some. I'm not saying I, everything was foolproof, but here we are today. And I feel like I'm on top of my game. I feel right now I'm really on top of it. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Um, any scripts, any comic book project, I'm ready to go. I'm hearing a number of similarities to the story that you began this conversation with talking about Bob and how Bob is making his way throughout the stories that you've already created for him. And who knows what others might be on the way. Um, were there, were there certain similarities between your experience and what you're putting Bob through that you were able to draw from and translate very easily to the page? And were there opportunities maybe where Bob could do something different simply because of their, his abilities um, in a moment where you're like, hey, I can remember this thing that I can draw on. Here's this scenario, but I can put it in uh, Bob's perspective. And through that, maybe explore some different ideas 
essentially capture a moment from life and and bring it in there uh, or was that something you know that you did not try to do and instead just tried to use the themes that came out of your experiences and share them with Bob and his story absolutely I mean especially in book uh, the third book book number two um, we always kick ourselves too. Should we have did that zero? We confuse everybody else. Zero, one, two. Dang it! Don't, don't ever do that again. Yeah, we've we've we smacked our foreheads on that one a few times. We, but, we can blame the '90s for the moment they started coming out with zeros and point two fives and everything. Yeah, that's what we were affected by, and they put it was everyone like, else in that pickle. And <laughs> so we thought we were being cool and edgy, but all right, it, it still works out. Um, it's still, I think it's still cool and edgy. And I, I'm going to say that there is a, a significant percentage of people who are going to agree with me. How about that? All right. I'll take it because still right. once in a while we go, oh, dang, you know, what did hard, you do? Yeah, that was hard to explain. But um, I took I blatantly ripped a couple of people out of out of out of a very bad experience of my life and made them villains. And I warned them, you better watch it because I'm going to immortalize you one day. And they thought I was joking. <laughs> nope. I've immortalized these two terrible people and they became great supervillains um, with story arcs and people can even identify with them. But uh, that was one. The, these were two characters that I was a little specific on how they needed to look with the artist. I said, let's they need to look this way. It's important. And Francisco, he grabbed onto the idea and went with it. And I, I was like, OK, there it is. You know, I, I got two very super villains in my life they inspired me and they're now in my book i've immortalized them so yeah you know uh, life imitates art easily uh, i love a great story like that completely reminds me of uh that scene from that uh what was it the knight's tale where i believe he's supposed to be a young chaucer and he's like you can do whatever you're gonna do to me guys beat me up this and this but i will immortalize you into such you know humiliating and embarrassing versions of yourself captured for eternity for generations to mock and laugh at and you've brought it on yourself i warned you and <laughs> it's a wonderful threat as a writer and creator to say careful you just might see a version of yourself that you don't like in something that others are going to enjoy and that's the that's the tempting of fate that you're uh, <laughs> you're choosing to embrace beware the writer <laughs> <laughs> always he's paying attention I also love this great quote I read once just from editors about revising, revising and it says, hey, my pens are faster than their erasers. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's no way that you're going to catch me when it comes to writing it. That's a great story. Um, I, I can only imagine that with all of the success you've been enjoying and, and the opportunities that have come, not only through exploring Bob, but then through uh, putting together this wonderful production of Legro that you might have found yourself um, coming up with new story ideas, perhaps planning new projects that are on the horizon, where essentially someone's saying, this is great, I wanna check all this stuff out, but what's next? Well, we did write uh, three, we have three other stories of Bob ready to go. Uh, we haven't gone into production on them, and, a, and another spinoff. And this, this actually goes back to his great grandfather. We go back in time when he was, you know, with the Psychic Union, and he was with a, uh, a paranormal adventure team called the Maya Theater Troupe. And basically, I wanted them to be the Beatles. I wanted them to be the Beatles, but complete assholes of their day, you know, of the 1940s and 50s. Um, so those are pending. You know, those are pending. You know, we're letting, we're, we're letting Bob grow. It's only been out, you know, we, we had the first version of, of the, the, the graphic novel, uh, year before last now last year uh we did i did a revision and added some new material for like a second printing which is now available now in digital and we're we're still selling off the stock uh of of the original but as far as the comic book world goes yeah there's more bob ready to go um i've been leaning mostly towards the movie making again because uh you know the resurgence is going to happen cinema has took a severe hit, especially with the HD invasion, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down uh, easy. It's like no, uh, I'm keeping film alive as much as I can. I'm shooting on film. I'm doing everything 
that everybody wants to do that they grew up with, but only I'm not faking it. I'm doing it for real. And that's, that's what I'm focusing on. Um, due to the lack of attention span though, what I'm starting to do is called one reelers. Actually, LeGrow will be the third movie. That's what's the, that's appropriately called a one reeler. So one 16 millimeter roll of film is, is 12 minutes. A one reeler is like, you know, your old Looney Tune cartoons. Uh, you know how you got that eight to 10 minutes of a story arc. It's not a micro film. It's, it's, this is what you're getting. You're going to get a full story arc uh, in 10 minutes. So uh, the Western, the last resort shot on super eight black and white here in Colorado, you get a full story arc at 10 minutes. Uh, the unmentionables, the next movie, the retro cops we did, you know, cops that are like stuck in the eighties, but living in a modern era, um, you get 10 minutes again. So Legro, you're going to get another 10 minutes. So I'm doing a, I'm doing this one reeler because I think, you know, the, the, the short film industry, the short movie industry, I'll say, because nobody's shooting on film, took a massive hit with video. It's now, you know, a one-line joke or just a skit, two people in a room. It's just showing off uh, digital special effects. There's no story arcs. I want to make sure I have a story arc. I want to make sure if someone's going to sit down for 10 minutes, I have them for 10 minutes. And then that's it. Then they'll murmur and talk about it. We've, we've already done this in the film festival circuit and make sure that it's professionally done and that it's deliverable ready. So when you go to a theater, when you see LeGrow and you see it at a theater, when it's in the festival circuit, it's deliverable ready. It's ready to be put on a streaming platform. It, it is done. The sound, the image, the music, everything is legit, which also is going to push back to the book. Hey, I gave you a 10 minute commercial. You want more? Here's the graphic novel. This is where you go to really get the meat of the story. So, you know, you got to think big. You got to think like you're a gigantic studio and say, well, how are they doing it or how are they not doing it? How are they missing the mark? And this is my idea of how they're missing the mark. If I'm creating a graphic novel, I'm going to tie something visual into it cinematically and have this circle just keep going back and forth, going back into itself to say, all right, here's the book. Here's the movie. Here's the book. Here's the movie. And even the website, you go to warehouse9pro.com, you know, where you can go to the store and, and, and get the books of Bob. You also get dossiers of all the characters. You get dossiers of all the artifacts and locations. It's like you got to give the audiences more. If you just bank on one thing, if you put all your eggs in one basket, I feel people lose interest really fast. And then you get buried in that ocean of content out there. And we're trying not to do that. We're trying to keep afloat and say, hey, we're waving the flag. Here I am. Look at me. Check out what we're doing. It's true that there is, you know, there's nothing worse than than in a great original product that afterwards you go, wow, it's a shame that nothing came after that, that there was just that one glimmer of greatness and then it's gone and, and nothing else goes with it. Instead, you're offering all of these opportunities. You know, you're saying, look, come to the website learn more about these characters. You want to know more. You want to keep digging into these different worlds and all of the characters that inhabit it. Here's a place where you can come and find more. And who knows? You could find something in there that is, I don't know how LaGrosse stories story ends. And even if it ends in a way where there might not be a sequel, I'm sure there's plenty of opportunities where there's a time period in his life where another story could be told. So I, I feel that everything that you're offering to people is potential for an upcoming story that if they're in the know, if they've enjoyed the, um, the cinematic projects you've already brought to them and they go to the website and they want to explore they they might find themselves, you know, discovering things that later they can look back on and go, I remember reading that on the website and now this character is in this project. And because I got a chance to become so immersed in this universe, it wasn't just this flash in the pan where it was, wow, that was such a great thing and then nothing else ever came with it. Instead, you're saying, you want more? I've got a place where they can go beyond enjoying the movies and the books, where they can continue to invest in the universe and also might discover things that they can enjoy later on. Um, with all of that, I can only imagine, too, that there's probably some things that, that are still, like you said, you know, you've got the books of Bob ready to go, but there might even be other ideas that 
they need to be developed, but they have potential. There's there's more on the horizon for people, and you're going to be continuing to offer more. I think the only thing left for me to to sort of wonder about is is there any beyond what we've already covered? Is there anything else that's on the horizon that we should potentially tease and suggest for people? And then you you mentioned that you've got the store. Is there anything else we can let them know is available there? that if they're going uh, to look at the dossiers and things like that, they can also explore some other things that might interest them, might even be something that they want to put their hands on and, and take home with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's nothing cooler than having your own logo. There's nothing cooler than having your own threads. There's nothing cooler than seeing sure, somebody. By the way. <laughs> Thank you. There's nothing I was looking for the organic way to wear it. it in. You did it perfectly. Yeah, you know, I mean, with, uh, this is what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, sure, you see Superman, Batman, everybody else on a T-shirt. But when you get something really unique, people are like, hey, what is that? What is that all about? It's a conversation starter. So uh, the shirts are available. Um, the beanie caps are available. The, the hats are available. Um, the fashion is available uh, beyond, beyond uh, the books. And sometimes, you know, people... They'll, it's it's odd. It's an odd world. They'll they'll buy that shirt and not buy the book, you know, <laughs> because the shirt <laughs> looks cool. Okay, whatever. That's that's fine. Uh, right. <laughs> but it all circles back. You know, it's about supporting the cause. It's about saying, hey, uh, Warehouse Nine Productions is here to stay. Um, you know, be it be it uh, graphic novels, film, and fashion. Let's see what more we can do for the future. You know, you want to build your own brand. This is how you do it. But still, this is the only way you can stand on a table and scream, hey, look at me, because there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, it's tough. There are, yeah, I mean, there there are plenty of competing platforms. There's just a lot of, you know, great things for people to, to look into. And unfortunately, I, I think sometimes there are things that seem like they would be great and they're, they're not much more than just, oh, wow, that's a cool eye candy, or that would be a... You know, this would be great if it was more. And it sounds like you've understood that and are saying, yeah, so I'm going to get your attention. And then when you get here, there's going to be more on top of that. So come enjoy, invest. You know, it's always a possibility. It's, it's happened quite a few times that people will want to reach out. They'll be like, hey, I heard you. I really got a kick out of what you were talking about and they would love to try and connect with you. Do you engage with fans on favorite platforms? Any particular you'd like to tell us? I'll of course try and include everything in the liner notes, but for somebody listening where they're like, oh, I should go there if I want to drop Lance a question or you know, if I want to follow up on something. Where's a great place where uh, folks can reach out? Uh, Warehouse9pro.com. I mean, the website is, is the tried and true. I mean, I'm on, I'm on, um, Twitter, I'm on uh, Instagram, um, okay. LinkedIn, and it's all strictly business. You know, um, you're gonna get you're gonna get the info of Warehouse Nine and what I'm up to. Not daily affirmations, not anything political, not anything goofy. <laughs> it's let's stick with what's fun. Uh, this yeah. is escapism. So yeah, I'm easy to find. Um, I'm with Comic Crusaders as well. I do cinema Cinema Crusaders. Uh, you can go to. Uh, comics crusaders and 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 do the link and see what see how we talk about movies retro movies we only talk about movies that are 10 years or older um so yeah i'm available and uh i get contacts you know people are they're hovering they they want to know what i'm up to they're they're really checking out what what i'm doing and i know once again it's scary i'm not doing what everybody else is doing so i'm not just going to go pick up my uh, smartphone and, and start videoing uh, a movie and calling myself a filmmaker. This is the real deal. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a book for you, physical media. Uh, you can grab it, you can buy it, you can touch it, smell it, eat it, do whatever you want with it, but you'll have it in your hands. And that is sexy. You know, that is something to say, Hey, we're here to stay. So I'm easy to find and I'm available. Well, I can only imagine too, because it's something that 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 kind of tickled my brain earlier, and I didn't include it in the conversation at the moment. I think I got probably distracted by something else cool you said, and then I was just kind of like, "What?" There it went. But there's been this interesting progression as digital streaming became more and more popular. Uh, there has become, a, you know, a growing 
percentage of the population that says, I'm going to stick with my VHS or I'm going to, you know, enjoy my music on cassette, vinyl, however, you know, I feel I'm engaging with something that that is more personal, more physical, more tangible than what I might enjoy from a digital experience. And that because of that, the way that you have chosen to go in a retro direction, but have also been able to create this amazing quality body of work, I can imagine folks are going, how many other ways can you explore? How can I get involved in doing this? Is there a future for me if I want to explore? So I can only imagine that there are going to be many listening who are inspired by the idea of, wait a minute, so I don't have to be what everybody else is doing, what the commercials are telling me. I need to buy the newest form of technology and then turn around and, and try and you know make myself into something instead of maybe learning about a craft, investing in it, exploring something that you know makes it personal and um, allows me to um, be as much of myself in that project. Uh, I can only imagine they're going to want to reach out. And I'm, I'm excited to hear about the potential for stories that are going to come out of that. So thanks for letting them know about all the great ways they can do that. Thanks for all the examples you shared. You know, you've definitely shown that a lot of people can tell you, go here, do this, this is how it's done. And then at some point you can discover for yourself, this is how it might work for some people. This is not how it's going to work for me. I'm going to find my own path. I'm going to forge my own path. And through it, what I discover potentially has much more value than whatever it was you were asking me to try and do, become, or uh, pursue. And um, I really enjoyed hearing your story, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I really enjoyed every aspect of it. All right. Thanks for having me. This is great. This is really cool. This my is cool. Pleasure. Hey, wonderful. I'm going to end the recording because I feel at this point, you and I should be able to engage as civil human beings who are not being observed. And uh, through that, for anyone who uh, joined us today, thank you so much for listening. But we will now go have a private conversation and you can just imagine what that includes. All righty. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.